This podcast is brought to you by Brunner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbrunner.com and take your skills to the next level. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my goal with each episode is to share stories of people who are recreating their lives or rising above challenges to write their next chapters with authenticity. These stories give me the courage to go after living my best life, and I think they will do that for you, too. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show so this podcast can continue to inspire next chapters all over the world. Bringing down the house, the accidental billionaires, the anti-social network. If you have read any of these books, then you know who my guest is. He's written more than 25 books, many of them international and New York Times bestsellers, with more than 11 million copies sold. Amazing. Several have become major motion pictures, 21, The Social Network, and Dumb Money. His most recent book, Breaking Twitter, oh my gosh, it's amazing, provides a ringside seat to one of the most dramatic business stories of our time. Ben Mesrick, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad we finally got together and we're able to do this. I'm so happy too. Thank you. We are actually recording this episode tonight at the Raise Her Holiday Party. Yes, I have a full audience here. (laughs) And Ben has been a supporter of Raise Her for quite some time, which is a community of incredible leaders and innovators. So we're very glad that we're able to do this live tonight. I read Breaking Twitter, Elon Musk, and the most controversial corporate takeover in history over the weekend. It's a page turner. It is fascinating, Ben. Several moments where I gasped out loud, Prior to Elon buying Twitter, he'd been described as a genius, the richest man on earth, the brilliant entrepreneur behind Tesla and SpaceX. And you write that his motivation was never about money or a whim or even political sort of reach. Why did he latch on to Twitter, Ben? Right. Was it about this for him? And let me just preface this by saying that the whole concept of the book is that not only did Elon break Twitter, but Twitter broke Elon. So the Elon before Twitter was widely known as one of the most brilliant men around, one of the top entrepreneurs of our lifetime. You know, you would say Edison, Da Vinci, Elon Musk, and no one would really say that today, or at least most people wouldn't. He went into Twitter with what he believed were very good motivations. He believes that he's here to save humanity. Its goal is to make us interplanetary and to get to Mars. And he felt that uh, Twitter was becoming a place where free speech was no longer free. They were over-moderating, especially conservative voices. He felt that he needed to save the global town hall because without free speech, we were going to pitch into some sort of dark ages. So he really saw this as kind of a white knight situation where he would come in, save Twitter from itself. And that was really his initial motivation. It wasn't about making money off the site. He has a sense of humor, so everything is couched in memes and sense of humor. But really, he took Twitter because he felt like he needed to save Twitter. Um, And that's why he first went into it. You just mentioned a moment ago that Elon Musk didn't break Twitter. Twitter broke Elon Musk. Those words have had a lot of people talking about what may be described as a mental breakdown during this chapter of his life. Right. How did Twitter break him? A series of events happened, but he came into Twitter a different person than he came out of it. 
he thought he could engineer away the problems with Twitter and very quickly found it wasn't an engineering problem. It was a list of things that happened that slowly spiraled him down to the Elon that we see today, which is someone that is lurching between vaguely anti-Semitic comments to basically saying that he's going to save the world in different wild ways to bringing back Alex Jones, thing after thing after thing that's making Twitter worse and worse and worse. So basically he walked in the front door with the kitchen sink and then immediately- literal kitchen sink. Literal kitchen sink. Then immediately starts to fire everybody. Uh, And he's trying to fire people with cause so he doesn't have to pay bonuses. He's firing them by email. He fires so many people that at one point they couldn't even get into the building because they'd fired the guy with the password to the building. Um, uh, Lots of things were breaking down at Twitter. And that was the initial phase. Then slowly he starts to do things that upset people. First of all, revamping the blue check system. It was disastrous, as we remember. Um, On the day that he did that, all of these fake blue checks came up. And people, you know, pretending to be um, Eli Lilly saying, you know, insulin is now free and McDonald's making fun of Burger King. And I think it was, uh, uh, you know, Mario Kart or putting the middle Nintendo, putting the middle finger up, thing after thing. And that was a big disaster. That led to the next thing where he went on uh, stage with Dave Chappelle. And I remember this, but he got booed. And this was the first time in his life that people had been telling him that they don't like him. And he reacted very badly to that. And he became paranoid. And at at Twitter, he started to place these rules in place, one being that no more than two employees are allowed in the room at the same time because he was afraid they were going to mutiny and cause some sabotage. And I can go on. There's thing after thing after thing. There's so many things. And you just alluded to the fiasco with the Twitter blue launch and the blue check. There was like a huge media firestorm after that. And one of the things you wrote is, yet he had only himself to blame, as usual. He set the fire himself, and nothing was particularly out of character. How do you describe his character today? Well, I mean, I definitely think he's a guy who breaks things to rebuild them. He said this many times, that when you're building rocket ships, you have to blow it up and then make it better. The problem is you can't really do that with a social media site, and it's hard to do that with people. And so he does walk into a room and blow up the room over and over again. And that's kind of the Elon we see today, where he comes in and breaks everything and then says, okay, we'll pull back on that, we'll pull back on that. And, you know, it's not a bad quality for an engineer, but it's a very bad quality for running a social media site. Oh, and that's one of the things that you write about, that Elon hadn't yet seemed to understand, that running a social media site was much harder than building a rocket. Right. And do you think he regrets buying Twitter at this point in time? I believe he completely regrets it. I mean, what's happened to his reputation is horrible. He went from being the guy that Walter Isaacson would write a great biography about to a guy that Walter would never write that biography today. He's destroyed himself, and the valuation of Twitter has gone from where he bought it at $44 billion, although it was never really worth that much, to their own people call it worth $18 billion, but it's gone way below that because now there's no advertising. He's chased away almost all the advertisers in the last couple weeks, and he's just getting worse and worse. So he definitely regrets it, but now he's all in on it, and he's going to make it the free speech bastion. The problem with the Internet is as much as free speech is wonderful and we all agree with it, You can't have free speech on the internet because the internet is populated by trolls and teenagers. (laughs) So uh, I don't know. I have a teenager at home. He doesn't have free speech, right? (laughs) Like you're you're 13. Do you monitor his system? I mean, if he walks into the dinner table and starts saying everything he wants to say, uh, the dinner would end very quickly, right? Um, And that's what's happening on the internet. Is is Twitter is becoming a place full of Nazism and hate speech and and just worse and worse. It's become an outrage engine, an engagement engine, and that's not really a place where you're going to find truth 
You know, Elon says he wants it to be the most true place on the internet. And the reality is it's the least true place on the internet. If you go there and try and look at, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian war, it's just fake thing after fake thing. You have no idea what's real and what's not. And because he got rid of the blue check system, there's no credibility to anybody anymore. So it's, it's pitched into a really bad place. Now, to be fair, most of the sites on the internet are like this. TikTok is horrible. Facebook is horrible. There's no great social media site, but Twitter was better. We can argue about it, and people will argue about it, that they did stifle some voices that it shouldn't have. I think it went after the New York Post for the Hunter Biden story, which I think we can all pretty much agree now, it probably shouldn't have shut down that story. But kicking Nazis off of Twitter is not a bad thing. Um, I don't the trolls, think, which we right, about. It doesn't like, add much to the conversation to have someone just shouting hate. And yet Elon is now going all in on the whole idea of free speech, which is a wonderful idea, but without guardrails, it's almost useless. What do you think is his obsession about free speech? Well, I think on the one hand, it's a great thing to have free speech. I, I mean, agree. everyone should be able to say As what they journalist, want. journalist, I agree. Um, but I think that he misunderstood what the role of someone owning a social media site is. And as much as you want it to have free speech, there are places on the internet where there's free speech, but no adults go to them. <laughs> They're on like, you know, Reddit boards or used to be, but now those are gone now. But 4chan was one. There are these message boards, but they're just full of porn and hate. And so that's the problem is you have to, if you're gonna have civilized conversation, someone has to be kicking people off of it. You've been writing for 19 years, covering some of the biggest stories of our time. What is it about these particular stories that you find so intriguing? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm a Hollywood writer. So my goal yes, you is are. <laughs> every book I write, I, I sell as a movie before I write the book. So I write a 10-page treatment, I sell it out in Hollywood, then I sell it to a publisher, and then I write it. So I'm choosing stories that I think will make big international movies. So it puts me into a bit of a corner. Every story has to be huge. It has to be um, momentous. It has to be something that 10 years from now we might be talking about. I also look for origin stories. So stories about the beginning of something important. And that's sort of the social network model. So it can't just be a great story. It has to be Shakespearean. It has to be big. And you have to be able to picture, you know, Tom Cruise running around doing it. Well, you just mentioned Hollywood and you were actually named one of Hollywood's most powerful authors. Powerful. Powerful authors. But to be fair, <laughs> authors in Hollywood are below the caterer in terms of importance. So being the most powerful author is not like being the most powerful well, anything else. If you're not, let me just read off a few of these accolades. You've yeah. been a writer and a consultant to the hit show, Showtime TV show, Billions. Mm -hmm. And several of your books became box office gold. The Social Network was nominated for eight Oscars. It won four Golden Globes, including Best Picture. I think yep. you're doing okay. What are the plans, if any, for taking breaking Twitter to the big screen? Yeah, so actually, amazingly enough, it's gonna be my first, well, my first or second little screen. We've sold it as a television series. It's gonna be an eight part first season. Um, I sold it to MGM, which is the studio that's making it. We've written the pilot, which is really awesome. And now we're out looking for our Elon. Who is going to, um, play, who do you want to play Elon? I mean, if I had a first choice, it would be Ben Affleck, I think. I think I love the idea of him doing it. Do you all agree? Yes, good he's choice. He's the size, he's big. Um, he looks angry all the time, which I think is good. Um, but he looks, he's smart, he's got a good sense of humor. I mean, the thing with Hollywood is you shoot for, you know, Ben Affleck or Tom Cruise, and then you end up with the cast of Saved by the Bell. So you go as high as you can go, and then you kind of work your way to where you can land. But um, he, we're talking to him, we're talking to a bunch of other big actors. Sasha Baron Cohen is someone we're talking to, who would be amazing, he's a brilliant actor. Brandon Frazier is a great choice as well, but my guess is there's probably gonna be a movie Elon at some point, 
and, a, and ours will be the TV show Elon. So I, I think there will be two Elons. Wow. Yeah. Where does all this passion for writing come from? Passion, Was this a yes. childhood? A childhood, I mean? yes. I started uh, very young. My, I Basically, my parents set a rule when we were little that we had to read two books a week before we were allowed to watch TV. So beginning at age about 10, I was reading lots of books so that I could watch TV. <laughs> and uh, by the age of 12, I knew I wanted to be a writer. And I just started writing very young. And by the time I graduated from college, it was just, how do I become a writer? So I locked myself in an apartment two blocks from here. And I wrote. I wrote nine novels in one year, which I don't recommend to anybody out there who wants to be a writer, because my dad had basically said, I won't let you starve for one year, but you have to have some level of progress by the end of the year, or you're going to have to go to law school or something. So I wrote, and I wrote. Not that there's anything wrong with law school. I just wasn't for me. Um, there was a point where you thought about going to business school. Yeah, because I ran out of money. Okay. So basically, I was hugely in debt in my 20s. Uh, my parents hate when I talk about this. But... Uh, I was about 24 and I had, was $2 million in debt. And I mean, I had massive credit card. I was using one credit card to pay another credit card. I used to pay my rent with those checks you get from the credit card companies. Don't, don't do that. Really bad idea. I was like, I was like a crazy person and uh, I was just attempting to sustain my lifestyle without actually making any money. And so I became very, very deeply in debt and I had a stack of business school applications under my bed. I was filling them out because I was like, the only way I'll ever pay my way out of this massive debt is to go to business school and become like a banker or something. And then I met the MIT Blackjack team. I started hanging out with them at a bar down the street. I started going to Vegas with them every weekend. And part of the way I had reached such a level of debt was going to Vegas. So I, I knew a lot about the story. I kind of knew how to write that story. I wrote a, a proposal and I sold that book for very little money. It wasn't going to be a big book. It wasn't going to change my life or anything. And then what happened was it exploded. It was just one of those crazy books that just sold millions of copies and completely changed my life. That's bringing you down the house. Bringing you down the house. Yeah. And so that book saved me from having to go to business school <laughs> or we're figuring out how to, how to be. So you didn't throw the typewriter away. You kept it. No, I, I <laughs> knew I wanted to. I, I had no other skill set. I mean, this is all I can do is write. I, by the time I bring it down the house, I had had six books published. So it wasn't that I wasn't a successful author. I was just spending every penny I got as soon as I got it. And nobody was reading the books. So I used to write fiction. So my first six books were thrillers that nobody's heard of. And then Bringing Down the House was my first successful book. Well, you mentioned a moment ago that your first career chapter was writing novels. And that was before yep. you penned these nonfiction sort of narrative thrillers. Yes. What has been the biggest challenge besides being in debt that you have had to face as a writer? And how did oh, you gosh. every I mean, it's always it's a challenging career. Let's put it this way. There's never a point where you reach a point where you're like, OK, now it's easy from here on out. It is easy for me now to get my stuff in front of people. Um, but you have to continually search for the next big story. Uh, there's been a lot of challenges. The first hardest challenge was breaking in. It's an incredibly hard business to break into. I got 190 rejection slips before I sold my first book. 190? 190. I used to have them taped to the walls like a serial killer. Why? Um, because it was my inspiration. I would sit in the middle of all of these rejections. I've told this story before, but I was even rejected by a janitor at a publishing house because I had written a manuscript and sent it to an editor who was no longer working there, and it got thrown in the trash, and then the janitor took it out of the trash and read it and sent me a rejection letter, <laughs> which is very sad. Seemed unnecessary. But... Um, I, I, I love the rejection because the rejection showed me that I was at least trying. Rejection, 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 rejection before I sold my first book. Then my first six books nobody read. So I was paid well, but then I would blow all the money. 
and then Bringing Down the House was my first successful book. And then that became a movie, but it took five years to make the movie 21. It took one year to make The Social Network and one year to make Dumb Money, but the, the 21 took a very long time to get made, so. Because it's such a challenging profession, Yes. What advice do you have for any wannabe mm. writers out there? What, what do they need to do to break in? Well, first of all, you have to really decide this is what you want to do because it's a very hard career to get into. And I think if you can do anything else, probably do that. But um, I love writing. I love being a writer. I think you have to figure out, first of all, what it is that you can write that people want to read. So if you're writing for yourself, that's important and that's something that's great to do. If you want to write as a career, you have to write in a way that people are going to give you money for it and you have to be very cognizant of that. It is a business. So if you are trying to write poetry, it's very hard to make a living at it. If you're trying to write literary books, it'll be very hard to make a living at it unless you find a genre in literary that people are buying right now. And then you just have perseverance. You have to decide, this is what I'm gonna do. This is all I'm gonna do. And I absolutely will not stop until I get there. And you have to break through that wall. There's a massive wall and it keeps everyone out. And to break through that wall is going to take an enormous amount of will and luck. Yeah. Can you give us a hint as to what you might be writing next? Well, I'm working on a lot of projects. So this television show I'm going to be writing for, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, my book, Once Upon a Time in Russia, is going to be Peter Morgan's next show after The Crown on Netflix. So that is being developed as a Netflix series right now, which is really cool. I have a couple of books in various stages of movie production. I'm working on a documentary about Jeffrey Kent, who started Abercrombie and Kent. Which He's is amazing. Travel. I this guy is, is like the adventurer of our time. He was the first man down the Amazon. He was uh, discovered the mountain gorilla and saved the gorilla. He's, he owns a travel company, Abercrombie and Kent, which he started you know, barefoot in the bush in Africa and built into this billion dollar company. He's like an adventurer in the old world style thing. So I'm doing a documentary about him, which is really great fun. And then I don't know what my big, big nonfiction book is yet, though I'm looking for the topic right now. Well, we can't wait to hear about that. Let's get back to breaking Twitter for a moment. The most recent book, and you actually credit your producer, Bo Flynn, for kind of nudging you to, to write this story. Yeah. And, and you've said that you wouldn't have had the guts to do it without him. Yes. You went through thousands of pages of documents and did many, many interviews, and yet Elon chose not to participate. No, I guess he does that's, not like this book. It's not a surprise. This is not the book that Elon wants you to no, read. No, no, no. He wants you to read the Isaacson book, so if Which you is huge, by the do way. Do what Elon wants you to do, you should read that book. Often, the main character doesn't want to talk to me. Zuckerberg did not talk to me for The Social Network. They talk to me, but they don't want to do an interview because they can't control what you're going to write. Right. So they would much rather do an interview with someone that they think will write the sort of book they want them to write. I have spoken to Elon, but he would not sit down to be interviewed. He decided he didn't want me to write this book. After doing all your research, which is one of your standards, I mean, you do yes. so much I research. Do a lot of research yes. yes. What was the most surprising thing that you learned through all of that research? Well, I mean, one of the stories in the book that wasn't widely reported before I wrote it was that Elon reached such a low point that at one point he locked himself in his conference room and the people at Twitter uh, were going to call the San Francisco police because they thought he was going to kill himself. Mm. Um, so this was this very low point that Elon reached that I don't think people knew about, which was surprising to me how caught up in this he was, how it was personal, how it became this intense personal thing to him, this failure that he truly believed wouldn't be a failure and then it did become that point. So that's kind of the main one. I mean, there's lots of little stories in there, yeah. but I, I think that's sort of the one that was really most surprising to me. 
One that surprised me was the names of three of his kids, and one of them is yeah, X. X, right. Well, it's a much longer name than that. It's a longer name than that, but he yeah. calls him X. Yes. He's obsessed with the name X. X.com. I mean, it sounds... Is that why he changed like it from like, Twitter to well, X? he's been trying to name something X.com since his PayPal days, okay. um, where he got fired, essentially, from PayPal for trying to turn it into X.com. But now he has his X.com. Yeah. Amazing. Well, if you want to learn more about Ben... His books, mm -hmm. his movies, the most recent book, Breaking Twitter, and all the upcoming things that he just told us about, you can go to his website, benmesrick.com, and we'll have that for you in our show notes. Ben, I always love reading your books. Thank you so much. They are page turners, and with this one, I literally was like, I can't stop. I read it in a book. Well, I got to tell I you, my goal with every book is that you read it on the flight from New York to L.A. <laughs> that's I think that's doable. I think that's doable. I think it's doable. Well, I've loved chatting with you. We've been wanting to do this for so yeah, long, I'm so, so this has we worked out good. really well, and I really appreciate your time. Thanks Thank so you much. Thank you so much. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. All right. And I have to thank our live audience and thanks to our worldwide listening audience because we we're in 140 countries. Did you know that? I didn't even my know, podcast, there were, I didn't know there were 140 yes, countries. That's my podcast is Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner, so I hope all of you will check it out. And may all of you find the courage to write your own next chapters and live your best life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud, and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.